ever I test podcast. First ever. I'm Clark Judge, and I'm joined by Ira Kaufman, the Sage of Tampa. And we're both Hall of Fame voters. And no, we're not going to give you an eye test, right, Ira? No, no eye test. But we will, hopefully, offer you an NFL education uh, by looking through maybe a Hall of Fame lens. Because, as I said, we're Hall of Fame voters. I've been covering the league since 1982. And Ira, I'm not sure how long you've been doing it. How long have you been doing it? Uh, the 79 Giants, uh, first year coach Ray Perkins, first year quarterback Phil Sims. 1979. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah. So, and uh, then, we're... and then I end up in Tampa covering Chris Sims. <laughs> that, that is a daily double. That's when you know you're not, I'm not going to say old, experienced, you know, because you go, I knew your father. <laughs> and then, oh, wow. <laughs> Get you confused. Anyway, I always just say we're, we're here to educate, illuminate, and hopefully, Ira, not obfuscate. <laughs> oh, I like it. And entertain, and entertain, And sir. entertain, yeah, right. but un- until we do, um, I want you to tell people the significance of the eye test, because as Hall of Fame voters, we talk about that some, and it's the name of this program. What exactly is the eye test? Well, Clark, uh, I've been privileged to be on that committee for 15 years, and it's 48 people, men and women, uh, gathered around a table um, the day before the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl city. You must attend in person. That could change this year only. Could be done virtually. We'll see. Um, and then we discuss 15 finalists, and we can only pick five, Clark. And that's one point we need to make right off the bat in this podcast, Clark. For those of you who say every year, how come so-and-so isn't in Canton with a bust? Well, who do you want to leave out, Clark? Yeah, that's right. That's always the one. Yeah, and, and so the eye test... Yeah, I was yeah. Say, during that time, people will give you all sorts of numbers, Ira, right? And then you'll say, no well, just what about the eye test? You know, Clark, I was thinking about this eye test thing, and I've, I've got my guy, and you probably have your guy as an example. And my guy is Charlie Sanders. Charlie Sanders. Clark, he played 10 years. He averaged 34 catches, 480 yards, and three touchdowns. For his NFL career. But if you saw Charlie Sanders play for a bunch of lousy Detroit Lions teams, no prime time, no postseason, Clark, the eye test told you this is a heck of a football player who needs to be acknowledged. And Clark, there's a whole bunch of other ones in the same boat. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I think of numbers of people, but Burt Jones comes to mind and maybe some of the listeners don't know who he was, but he's a terrific quarterback for the Baltimore Colts until he wasn't because he got hurt. But for those three years, he was wonderful. And people look at his numbers and say, oh, this guy, I mean, what did he do? If you lived in Baltimore, you realize he carried that city and put that city on his back and on his shoulders. And speaking of cities, Ira, you live in one that's a specially designated city. It's the center of the sports world, and that's Tampa. You've got The Lightning, that would be the Stanley Cup champion, Lightning. You've got the Bucks with Tom Brady. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays. And you've got Tony Dungy, a guest of ours today. So you got it all, Ira. You know, we're not used to being the hotbed, uh, the uh, epicenter of the uh, (laughs) sports universe. You know, Clark, the Bucks, all-time career record, it's the worst in professional sports. Well, that doesn't surprise me. 
Uh, you know, so you got to take that in perspective. And the Lightning were lousy for a long right. time right. Uh, until this, uh, you know, new regime came along. Um, and the Rays weren't anything till Joe Madden arrived. But you're right. It, it is a blessing right now to be a Tampa sports fan. And, you know, they had a celebration of the Lightning in the middle of Raymond James Field after the game on Sunday. So both franchises came together. Now, your Yankees pummeled uh, the Rays uh, on Monday night, Clark, but it's best of five, not best of one. So we shall see. But, yeah, we got it all going on down here in Tampa right now. Well, Ira, who's the big dog in town there? Is it the Lightning? Is it the Bucks with Brady? Or is it the Rays? The NFL rules, Clark. I'm surprised you even uttered such a sentence. Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to throw you a softball there, Ira. And, and Clark, these Buck fans, they're beaten down. They're absolutely beaten down. Right. 12 years without a playoff, Clark, long time. Only Cleveland Browns have a longer playoff drought. Uh, they don't know whether to believe this 3 and one start, but, Clark, they got Brady now, and he right. lends credibility to the 3 and one start. Well, he does, and I'm glad you mentioned him because you look at what he did last week, five touchdown passes to five different receivers, but he wasn't alone. To me, it was an old guy's rule weekend. You had Brady, Phillip Rivers, you had Drew Brees, uh, whom I mentioned, uh, missing Rogers, Rogers on Monday Rogers. night. I mean, older yeah. guys, and they all excelled. And Brady, to me, looks like he's coming around now. That the, I live in New England. I've seen this before. Coming back from 24-7 is nothing. But I saw what Bruce Arians said after the game. A little bit of a different tone than what we heard from Bruce Arians the first week of the season. Are people there looking at the Bucks now going, uh, we believe I don't think there's any question, Clark. Now, you know how fickle fans are. Tampa's not an exception. They played in New Orleans week one. They didn't play well as a team. Special teams were awful. Brady didn't play well. He had a pick six. He didn't play well. And all of a sudden, you hear around town, he's done. He's 43. What a disaster, this plan by the Bucs, all in, short term. It's not going to work who's going to be their quarterback in a year or two. And now, Clark, as you mentioned, now he didn't play particularly well in the first half of this Chargers game. Another pick six, which we're not used to with Brady. He's got to stop throwing that out ball, you know, that long out ball. I mean, John Elway can throw that. Well, I mentioned Rivers to you, um, and I mentioned, um, you know, Breeze. Rivers last week went to Chicago and he won. He didn't play particularly well, but he won. Now you've got Tampa going to Chicago. Who are you liking that game? You know, normally I think the talent disparity is is by far on the Bucks side, but it's a short week road game, and the injuries are mounting, and Buck fans are blaming me, Clark. <laughs> They're blaming me because uh, on my Buck podcast – I've been yakking that uh, they're relatively injury-free compared to these teams that they're playing like Denver and the Chargers were all banged up. Yeah, that's right. And and now it's come home to roost. Um, they had four receivers who didn't practice today, but Mike Evans is going to play, Clark. He's going to play. Scotty Miller's going to play. Godwin may not. O.J. Howard's out for the year. All right, he's out. So maybe Cameron Brake steps up a little bit, but – I think this is going to be a tough game, Clark. I don't like the way the Buck defense played on Sunday, but Chicago's offense doesn't scare anybody, Clark. No, they didn't do anything against Indy. And listen, as long as you've got number 12 and he's not hurt, you're fine, Ira. Now, since I was talking to you about Tampa and the Bucks, I'm going to morph this into a logical conversation about somebody you know very well. That's San Francisco general manager John Lynch. And as most people, I think, should know, 
Um, he played for Tampa and started and excelled for Tampa. He also played for Denver. Now he's the general manager for the San Francisco 49ers. But he has been a Hall of Fame finalist for the last seven years, I think, Ira. That is, that and, is and correct. For those times, including the Centennial class, um, or I'm sorry, including the class of 2020, he's been a top 10 finalist, which is good. That's really good. But we just got our, our ballots mailed to us last month, and there are 130 preliminary candidates on it. He's on there. It, it doesn't take a genius to figure out he's going to make the cut to 25, the semifinalists, and he's going to make the cut to 15 as a finalist. Now the question is, what happens after then? Ira, you're the guy who has to present him every year, and you do a heck of a job. You really do. But with each year, it's got to become more and more difficult because he gets getting kicked back into the pile again. And so he's coming back again. We go, wait a minute, we just heard about him last year. Wait a minute, we heard about him the last five years. Still not making any progress. But he did in 2020 because he went from a, a, a finalist top 15 but didn't make the first cut to 10 to finally making the, the cut to 10. He looks like he's in the launching pad for 2021. Tell me why he is and maybe why you should be concerned because of what we've got going forward here, which is a loaded class. All right, Clark, you know, those years that he went backwards and got cut right away uh, is a point that you have made about 62 times uh, on, on your websites, uh, Mr. Judge. And, and you've infuriated me all 62 times. But you know what? You were telling the truth. You were telling the truth about what happens in that room. Clark, in terms of John Lynch, and I'm being very serious here, and I want our listeners to realize this, I am haunted by one man that has been through the Hall of Fame gauntlet and came up empty and passed away and never got in. That guy's name is Bob Kuchenberg, a heck of a guard for the old Dolphins, now, he played with a Hall of Fame guard in Little, a Hall of Fame center in Langer. Maybe people don't want to put three guys, but that team was powered by that offensive line and that running game That's with right. those three, the three-headed running game. Bob Kuchenberg, Clark, I believe, was in that room eight straight years. This will be Lynch's eighth straight year. He never made it, and then he disappeared. Yeah, that's he right. never reappeared. And I've gone through that history book with the Hall. They give us a nice pamphlet. So I looked that up. Hey, has anybody been a finalist all this time and never gotten a bust? There's only one guy. His name's Bob Kuchenberg. I brought it up last year in my presentation. That might have been one of the reasons he did make the 10. But Clark, he is a classic example, and you know this, of a guy who doesn't have stats. He doesn't have them. He wasn't an all-decade player. You know, he came in in the uh, he, he started in the mid 90s. He retired in 06. That's not a good match. You got your Brian Dawkins and Atwater played full decades. It helps. And 26 interceptions. This is not Ed Reed we're talking about, Clark, but you got to realize the role that he is being asked to play. And Clark, I'm getting a little optimistic. You got to calm me down because <laughs> Mr. Dungy and Mr. Bill Polian have been added. And they happen to be huge John Lynch advocates. Okay, I'm going to calm you down with two words. Leroy Butler. All right. Leroy Butler was a finalist last year for the first time. Right. This year, I guess this year, 2020, for the first time. Out of 14 years of eligibility, a finalist for the first time. Unlike John Lynch, he was all decade. 
Like John Lynch, he was a Super Bowl champion. Unlike John Lynch, he was a four-time first-team All-Pro. John was a two-time first-team All-Pro. And then there are historic complications with Leroy Butler. He was the first defensive back ever to make the 2020 club. 20 sacks, 20 interceptions. Brian Dawkins also did that. Brian Dawkins was the first ballot Hall of Famer. Leroy Butler's waiting. And now he's in the door with John Lynch ahead of him because he's been there seven times. Leroy's only been there once. But he's in the door. And here's the kicker. Because he's first team all decade, if Drew Pearson gets in with a class of 2021 and he's the senior candidate, that makes only one guy who's first team all decade, offense or defense, from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, who's not in Canton. Well, guess who that be? Leroy Butler. So there you've got head-to-head. I don't know if you, both of those guys can go in. We've been letting in a lot of safeties lately, eight in the last four years. I are as many as in the first 53. But I think that's going to be an issue. You are making a compelling case for me to call David Baker and get you barred from the next meeting. <laughs> You've asked that every year. It hasn't worked. You know, Cluck, you are making a, a perfect point about the Hall of Fame. It's you're not saying John Lynch doesn't belong. What you're saying is look at Leroy Butler. Yeah. There's a guy like Leslie O'Neill. Um, you've brought him up to me, Clark, right. and saying, you know, you know the Chargers well. Right. Heck of a player can't get a sniff in the Hall of Fame room. He's not even a finalist. He's been a semifinalist once. He has as many sacks as Lawrence Taylor, 132 and a half. Can't get in. I mean, can't, can't get a sniff. Um, but I'll tell you what's working in your favor, Ira, I think, is voter fatigue. And you've seen it before with Henry Carson, Art Monk. After a while, people go, why do we keep bringing these guys back and, and kicking them to the curb? At some point, we've got to make a decision. And maybe that's what happens here. Listen, he's been a finalist now eight times. Get him in so we can start moving the line forward. Otherwise, he's just taking up a spot every year. That may Absolutely. work in your favor. You know, Clark, I'm going to throw another name out at you. And I don't know how close you've looked at him because he has not been a finalist. And I know you do your homework very well. Uh, but you got to make the 15, you know, for you to really hone in on a guy. Buck fans don't understand what's going on with Rondé Barber. Right. They don't understand it, Clark. He's right. made the 25 several times. He can't kick in that final door and get in that room. And as our buddy Rick Goslin, who's as respected as anyone in this business, Clark, right. you know that. He's a whole thing voter. He told me one day, you know, he started looking at Rondé Barber and he said, Jesus, Ronde Ronde Barber is one one heck of a candidate. Uh, You know, the the 30-30 and the versatility and, you know, in the NFC title game in Philly, which I think is a bigger game than the Bucs winning the Super Bowl, was them shutting down the vet that day. Barber was the best player on the field, uh, besides that late late interception that sealed it. So, Buck fans are in an uproar about Ronde Barber, too, Clark. And you threw all those numbers at me, and it's good, and it's absolutely perfect. But what does he pass, Ira? The eye test. That's absolutely right. You look at Rondé Barber and you go, passes the eye test. Same do thing. We have somebody, uh, do we have somebody calling in right now? Clark? Somebody we do. Calling hey, in. listen, we're going to take a break. But when we return, we're going to hear what Tony Dungy thinks about John Lynch. And is John Lynch's former coach, Ira? I think you've got an advocate in that room. Just guessing. <laughs> You're listening to the eye test. And I'm going to hand this to Tony Dungy. World champions, Indianapolis Colts. Tony, how about this performance by your team tonight? I, I'm so proud of our guys. You know, we took the, the hit early with Devin Hester, but we talked about it. We said there's going to be a storm. We said the Lord doesn't always bring you directly through. 
sometimes you got to work for it. And uh, our guys just hung tough and played so hard. And I just can't tell you how proud I am of our group, our organization, and our city right now. Okay, most people know that Tony Dungy is a Hall of Fame head coach and a voice on NBC's Sunday Night Football in America broadcast. But what you may not know is he's the newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame's Board of Selectors. He was chosen to that group this summer. And you also may not know, it's his birthday today. I didn't know it either until Ira told me, yes, Tony's, I turned, I think, what, what is that, 45, 46? I forgot what it was. <laughs> anyway, Tony's been so kind to join us today. And Tony, first of all, happy birthday. And secondly, congratulations on joining the Hall of Fame's Debate Club. Well, thank you, Clark and Ira. I don't know if it's uh, congratulations or, or welcome to the club, but uh, I know I used to complain to you guys for years about this person. One of my players needs to be selected. How could you not pick him? And now I'll be sitting in that same spot. But uh, we'll have fun, and, and uh, it should be a, a learning experience, that's for sure. Yeah, it always is in that room because you've got 48 pretty interesting people, and uh, I, you're a great addition to that room, Tony. Um, I know – of something I wanted to ask you right off the bat, and I, I, I hope I'm not catching you off guard because it's coming out with a fastball here, but I'm interested as a voter and as a selector and as a former head coach, how much importance you place on two items when considering a Hall of Fame candidate. And those two items are longevity and all decade status. Um, I don't, I, I like longevity. I think that says a lot about you. I am not too hung up on the all decade status because there are people like my buddy, Donnie Shell. He just got in last year. Uh, he, he began, uh, his career as a backup guy became a starter in 1977. So he was great from like 77 to 83. And because of that time frame, he didn't make an all decade team, but for those seven or eight years, he was the best strong safety in football. So I think you have to look past some things and try to try to look at, did a guy dominate when he was playing? Okay. But since we're on that, that line, I'll ask you about somebody we were talking about earlier and somebody that Ira has presented to the halls committee before he's a safety and he's not all decade. And he's one of your former players. And I think of one of your favorite players, that's John Lynch. He's been a seven time finalist, but he can't break through and, uh, it's reasonable and probably logical to believe he's going to be an eight time finalist this year. I'm wondering if you were standing in front of voters today, because I know you're supportive of him, but what would you tell them to convince them that, listen, put John Lynch in, this is what makes him special. This is what makes him a hall of fame player. Yeah. John was a tremendous player. He was a great leader for us. He played the position that wasn't really highly valued. Um, Safety's, hadn't gone in. Now, recently we've had Steve Atwater and uh, Kenny Easley, and, and so that's been good to see. But it's a very difficult position to play. He was a leader on a fantastic team. He had measurables. He had tackles. He had big plays, big interceptions. But those intangibles, that, that key moment when you needed a play, when you needed a stop, you needed a tackle for a loss, you needed an interception, that's what he stood out. In. And so I would say, hey, you just had to be around this guy. You had to see and watch him play, but he, he certainly is the Hall of Famer in my mind. All right. Tony, I'm going to ask you about uh, 
the NFL in 2020, Tone. And one of the things that strikes me at the quarter pole, Tony, your old team, the Colts, are playing some fantastic defense. Nobody ever heard of this defensive coordinator, Tony, Matt Eberfluss. Um, and I assume that you believe that DeForest Buckner has made a heck of a, a change uh, in Indy. W- what's going on with the Colts' defense, Tone? Well, let me let me tell you, they're one of the few teams playing defense right now, so that's why it stands <laughs> out. Uh, nobody else is playing defense. I'm watching every Sunday with Rodney Harrison. I see blitzes with no middle uh, safety. I see three deep zones with nobody deep. I see no contain, no fundamentals. So I think some of it is just Matt is doing, and his name is Eberflus, by the way, Matt yes. Eberflus, and he is playing fundamentally sound football. He's a Rod Marinelli disciple, uh, coach with in, in Dallas, and he believes in just playing hard, flying to the ball, not being complicated. And I think that's what he's done there. He hasn't overcomplicated things. Now, you mentioned DeForest Buckner. I met DeForest when he was a freshman. My son was playing at Oregon. DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead came in like two young baby basketball players, and they left there like many beasts. Um, I didn't even recognize him his rookie year. He had grown so much. But he's like Warren Sapp. You, you can have a lot at the table, and then when you bring that special ingredient, it makes everybody better. And I, I think that's what DeForest has done there, guy that they have to double team, a guy who can get pressure up the middle inside, and he has helped that whole defense play a little bit better. You know, Tone, another guy like that was uh, Calais Campbell in, in Jacksonville about three years ago. Wow. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing happened. Yeah. No question. Yeah. And he's doing it in uh, Baltimore now. He's making plays and making everybody else better. Tony, what do you think about um, the, the new uh, guard at quarterback? I think the NFL's blessed, Tony. I mean, uh, you got to have continuity. And here comes these young guns. I mean, besides Mahomes and Jackson, Tony, you, you, you've got um, – Guys like Kyler Murray, uh, Josh Allen looks really good, Tony. And I just saw Justin Herbert uh, shred a pretty good buck defense. So, Tony, the NFL's in good shape with these young quarterbacks. It, it really is. And these guys are getting plenty of experience. They're getting to handle the ball in college. They're getting to make decisions at the line of scrimmage. Uh, all of these things they're doing in college. And what's happening now is you're getting NFL coaches who aren't saying, you know, I've got to take three years for this young quarterback to learn how to play in the NFL. No, they're saying, I'm going to take what he does well and implement that and make the NFL defend that. So Justin Herbert is running read option, and he's throwing RPOs just like he did in college, and it's not that difficult a jump. So I, I have to commend the offensive coordinators for saying, you know what, I'm going to do what these young men do well and turn them loose. And there was a time, as you know, Kyler Murray wouldn't have been the first pick in the NFL draft. Um, you know, they would have said, hey, five foot 11 quarterback runs around, doesn't have that, that pocket vision and everything. We, we can't utilize that. But Cliff Kingsbury says, no, I have an offense that can do that and take advantage of what he does well. So uh, I think it's a, a perfect storm where you're seeing these talented guys come in and you're seeing that the coaches know how to use them. Tony, don't you think one of the reasons there's been such an absence of defense in the league today is because the league's gone out of its way to outlaw it? I mean, they've done everything in the world to help the offensive side of the ball, and they've handcuffed these guys on defense. And it's nothing like it was 
20 years ago when you were in Tampa, you know, and shutting down the, the St. Louis Rams. Um, it, it seems to be just like a completely different game. No, it, it really is. And you can see the numbers that these guys are, are putting up. And it's tough to rush the passer now. It's tough to get around the quarterback. It's tough to play downfield defense. If a, a receiver dies for a ball, you almost have to get out of his way or you're going to get a, a defenseless player penalty. So that makes it easy. Uh, there are balls, I see balls thrown now that receivers would tell quarterbacks not to throw when I was playing because right. I'm not going to go up after it. You're not going to put me in the hospital. Right. Uh, so it is different now. And then I think you're seeing uh, so many creative offenses and, and so many different things. That, that's what makes it difficult. I remember when I, I was a defensive coordinator and college staffs would visit us and they would say, okay, I like this defense that you're running. What do you do if the quarterback runs? And we would say, well, we don't worry about that. It's, it's not going to happen because they won't run. And we didn't have an answer. Well, now these co coordinators are turning their quarterbacks loose. They are running. Bill Belichick, it was a great third down uh, last night. And he's got everybody double covered and all this fantastic coverage. He rushed with three men and double covered Kelsey, double, double covered uh, Tyree Hill. And it was beautiful. And Patrick Mahomes took off and ran for 18 yards and made a first down. And, yeah. and so that's the dilemma that you're seeing now. These quarterbacks put so much stress on defenses. It's very difficult. So you got quarterbacks and rules that make it very tough. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, that game because I wanted to ask you about Mahomes. Um, I, I mentioned the, when you were with uh, Tampa, 20 years ago, um, and I was at that 1999 championship game against the St. Louis Rams, and you did what people said was improbable or impossible. You put the brakes on the Rams, on the greatest show on turf. You know, it was uh, a low-scoring game. I think it was, what, 6-5 or something at one point? And yep. you lost 11-6, but doesn't make any difference. You, you made a point there, and honestly, had they ruled that Bert Emanuel catch, I'm, I'm sure that you would have won that game, but in any case, you slowed down the greatest show on turf. If you were coaching today, Tony, you were coaching those Bucks today, and you're going up against the Kansas City Chiefs, how would you defend Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? It, it's simple to defend Mahomes, but it's not easy. You have to have some elements. You have to have four guys who can create pressure and rush the passer without blitzing. I thought that was a key last night. Bill Belichick, he watched Baltimore blitz and get torn to shreds. He watched everybody go after Mahomes. He said, that's not the idea. They rushed three. They rushed four. They had some different uh, guys coming, and they were able to get pressure. Uh, but they did it without sending five and six guys. And then you have to sit back and play some zones, which Bill Belichick is not a zone guy. But they played some zones last night and made him throw the ball underneath, and they came up and made tackles. And then the other thing you have to do is – when you force them to throw 35 passes and you're playing a lot of zone, you got to intercept the interceptable ball. Right, right. And that's where New England did do it last night. If they intercept two of those balls that they have in their hands, they would have been in great shape. Uh, but that's what we did in that, that game against uh, the Rams. And we did everything except the last ball that they threw to Ricky Prohl. Uh, Brian Kelly just missed it. And otherwise, that might have been a 6-5 win for us. Uh, I've got my last two for uh, Coach Dungy uh, Clark. Tony, um, what's your confidence level? I know you're not uh, 
Soccer League, which has taken a lot of uh, good precautions uh, in terms of uh, this virus. Um, Tony, uh, they're going to, uh, what's your confidence that they're going to be able to keep this thing together, intact, and, uh, and have a successful season? I think we can finish the season. I think we can have a successful season, but it's not going to be without bumps in the road. You're going to have games postponed. You're going to have games canceled. Uh, down here in Florida, we are opening things back up. Our governor has just said restaurants and bars can, can proceed forward now. So you're going to have more cases and more things happen. Players are not going to be able to avoid that. Guys going to stop off and pick up takeout fried chicken on the way home. Um, you don't know who you're going to run into. And it's going to happen. And we can say, oh, players need to be careful and all that. It's going to happen. So you're going to have to be flexible. We've got to deal with some games that get postponed, some games that get moved. I think the league is going to be able to do enough to continue to play. I don't believe everybody's going to play the same amount of games. I don't believe we're all going to get in 16 games. But I think we'll have a season and a Super Bowl. And, Tony, last one from me. Tony, thanks again for giving us your time. Uh, on your birthday, buddy. Uh, Tony, right here uh, in Tampa, which you still call your home, and we're, we all appreciate that uh, because you can live anywhere at this point in your life. Um, and I was telling Clark, uh, uh, Tony, and you can relate to this. After week one in New Orleans and the Bucks didn't play well and special teams were poor <laughs> and Brady didn't play particularly well, Tony, and, you know, a segment of Buck fans – started coming out and saying Brady's washed up. He's 43. Uh, this all-in philosophy was a colossal mistake. And, Tony, uh, I watched him on Sunday like you did in that second half, um, five touchdown passes. Tony, boil, boil it down if you can. Tony, what is the one identifiable quality that Brady possesses as well as anybody that's played this game? Well, he's smart and he's a winner. Uh, those, those are the two things that's always been Tom Brady. And I felt he was going to start out slow because in defending him and going against Tom all those years, it's precision, it's timing, it's accuracy, it's knowing your receivers. So it's one thing to go to Berkeley Prep High School and throw routes over and over and over again with your guys. But it's different when you have to go out there, okay, the corner's playing me slightly inside. Now, how am I going to run this out route? How am I going to run the post and cross his face? Am I going to break it off at 14 or am I going to go to 16? Those are the things that take time to develop. So I thought he would, uh, you know, struggle a little bit coming out of the gate, but I, I think he's going to be better and better as time goes on. Now the key to playing him is just like you have to play Patrick Mahomes. You've got to be able to rush with four guys and not have to blitz. And if you can do that, then it puts everything in a different category. So that's when we're going to find out. Uh, where Tom is. They're going to be a playoff team, I believe. He's going to get in the playoffs and play uh, against the Saints or, or against uh, San Francisco when they're healthy, against somebody who can pressure without blitzing. And now we're going to see how that timing and everything goes. But he's, he's going to be just fine, and I think it's a good investment for the Bucks. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Tony, because I look at that Super Bowl in 2007 and also 2011, but the 2007 Super Bowl – when he was much younger and the Giants brought pressure with the front four, you know, that Strahan Tuck was there and, and they pressured yep. him and suddenly flummoxed him. Now, I mean, it was a close game, but they did something that other people couldn't and it seemed to have an impact. No, that, that's the way. And 
Tom is like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Peyton Manning. A lot of the great ones are like that. If you can't get pressure, you're going to, you're going to die. He's going to kill you. If you have to blitz to get pressure, he's going to kill you because he's seen all the blitzes. He knows where the ball has to get out. He can get it out quickly and accurately to stop guys like that. You have to be able to rush with four guys and cover with seven and make different coverages, but still get pressure. Um, you know, and, and that's what great defenses that you see in the playoffs, that's what they're able to do. Yeah, um, I've got a couple more, Tony, and that's it. But thanks so much for joining us again. One is following on what uh, Ira mentioned about the, the COVID pandemic. What impact, if any, do you think it's going to have on a team like Tennessee? I mean, they were rolling. Uh, Pittsburgh, they were rolling. And now suddenly you stop. And with Tennessee, you can't go in to your building. Does that have an impact on a team uh, going forward? And if so, what kind of impact? Oh, it absolutely does. You know, football players are creatures of habit, and they're used to a routine. Warren Sapp, he meant it kind of as a, a knock at me uh, or a left-handed compliment, but I, I remember him saying one time, I'm the only person in America that can tell you what I'm going to be doing Tuesday a year from now on September 9th <laughs> because I know our schedule is not going to change. <laughs> and he loved that, though, and all the guys love it. So you're a creature of habit. When that gets disrupted, it, it becomes odd. It becomes weird. Uh, but I think the good coaches will function with this. They'll roll with it. I remember my last year or my first year in uh, Minnesota with Denny Green. He flew us to an, a preseason game on the day of the game, made us get off from the airport, go right to the stadium and play. And his reason was, I don't know when, but this could happen. And if it does happen, we're going to be ready for it. Uh, and, and so that's the, the mentality that you have to have in talking to the coaches, my friends who are still in the league. That's what they're looking at. We don't know what's going to happen. We've got to coach our guys into being okay with different situations, different circumstances. I thought Bill Belichick was masterful uh, last night. Hey, we had to fly the day of the game. We had to fly two different planes. Uh, it wasn't our routine at all. But you know what? No excuses, no explanations. We're, we still expect to win. And uh, I, I think that you'll, you'll see two camps. You'll see people complain about it and say that this is unfair. And you'll see people just go after it. I am um, in, in a coach's Bible study with a few of the guys from the Tennessee staff. They haven't been to work in five days. And mm -hmm. they're trying to get ready for a game. And they're Zooming their, their players and trying to keep them into it. Those are the things you're going to have to do. And the really good coaching staff and the really good teams with good leadership, they will do that. And lastly, to bring this conversation full circle, we started out by uh, talking about safeties and, and Donnie Shell. And I remember several years ago um, when I was working with Rick Goslin and Ron Borges, I still work with him, but we had a Talk of Fame Network broadcast. And we asked you, who's the one player not in Canton that you would like to see there? And you said Donnie Shell. And Donnie Shell made it with the Centennial class. So I'm going to ask you the same question now that Donnie Shell is in Canton. Who is the one player not there that you think should be in there that you would like to see in there? And I'm not talking about somebody who's coming up this year like Peyton Manning or somebody like that. But right. somebody who's been on the books for a long time and has been overlooked and someone you think is, is worthy. Wow, that, that's a good question. Um... Some of my and guys. It better, it better not be me. a stealer, Tony. No stealers. No stealers. <laughs> no, no, no. We've 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 had our share in there. 
Um, gosh. Uh, well, I'll throw a guy at you. I'll throw a couple guys at you. Chuck Howley and Randy Gratishar. I'm a Gratishar fan, and um, I don't understand why he's not in, but he's not, and he just doesn't get a sniff. Yeah. Um, Randy was a really good player on an excellent defense. Chuck Howley, very underrated guy. Uh, Drew Pearson, we've talked about clutch catch after clutch catch after clutch catch from, from Roger Staubach. Um, you know, I'm going to throw this one at you, though. I'm going to say Ken Riley. Ken Riley oh, played yeah. when I played, nice. played on the right right corner, yep. uh, was an outstanding player, converted quarterback, ton of interceptions, smart guy. Uh, Chris Collinsworth said he gave him the toughest time of anybody he played against. Uh, and, and Ken, certainly numbers and longevity to, to deserve to be in there. You know, it's interesting since you brought him up. He has 65 career interceptions, Tony. That's fifth all time. It's tied with Charles Woodson. And what do we say now when we're talking about the class of 2021? Uh, oh, they're two slam yeah. dunks, Peyton Manning and Charles yeah. Woodson. And Ken Riley. Automatic, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And Ken got 65 interceptions when we were throwing 18 passes yeah, a game. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Tony, thanks so much. Really enjoy this. Um, I'm really glad we kicked this off with you. You're terrific. And happy uh, birthday. And uh, and as, as said, welcome to the Board of Selectors. <laughs> you may regret it years uh, to come, but yeah. it's going to be fun. <laughs> Misery loves company, right? There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Hope to see I'm you in the Super Bowl. Thanks, guys. Yep. yep. Take Looking care. forward to it. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. So, Ira, what do you have to say about uh, what, what Tony mentioned? For instance, for instance, the uh, Patrick Mahomes thing. You know, um, that was interesting. We said it's simple if you can rush four. Um, but that doesn't make it easy. You know, I think you were very uh, right on to use the Giants yeah. as an example. And don't forget – that 07 Patriots may be the, you know, the most prolific offensive juggernaut we've ever seen, with all due respect to the greatest show on turf. Nobody could slow down those Patriots. Nobody. And how did the Giants win the game? Defense. 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 Right. You know, and Manning made a couple of throws, a couple. But it was the tucks of the world, uh, you know, and the stray hands that won that game. And Tony's very consistent on that four-man rush. Uh, you know, when you play the elite quarterbacks, the Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, they they invite you to blitz. They don't right, mind it right, at all. Right, right. And one more thing, Clark, I, I just watched Herbert um, on Sunday against the Bucks, and you know how aggressive Todd Bowles is, uh, Clark. And I think he had a good game plan, throw the kitchen sink at Herbert, see if he can do it. But you know what, Clark? He did it. Yeah, he he shredded the Bucks in the first That's half. Right. That's right. And, you know, I, I think Bowles learned that, um, hey, this is not no ordinary rookie. So hats off to Herbert. I, he's got a bright future, Clark. Yeah, well, I, I, I mentioned that because of the, the uh, uh, Patriots and the Giants was the one that stuck out. But you can also do Denver when you talk about prolific offenses. That Denver team in 2013, they come to the Super Bowl against Seattle and everybody goes, God, they're going to kill him. And I thought, no, Seattle's got a chance because they play defense. And that hit that Cam Chancellor made uh, on Demarius Thomas over the middle on the first series, boom, that's it. You know, it set the tone. And what happened? They just engulfed them with defense. So uh, I think, yeah, he's consistent for a reason. Defense still matters. So um, anyway, um, anything else, Ira, that that catches you? Well, um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that Cam Chancellor uh, uh, hit, Clark, because – 
that 99 game that you referenced to uh, the 99th season, yeah. uh, and you were at and you were at that game. The final was 11-6. Uh, Bucks lost, but Derek Brooks tells me all the time when we talk about that game how he hit either Tory Holt or, or um, Isaac Bruce. It might have been Holt early in the game on a, some kind of a crossing pattern and got him right in the ribs. Might have knocked him out of the game. Maybe it was Azakim or somebody. Azakim, yeah. maybe. And so that that was the tone setter for yeah. that game. You're not coming across the middle without paying a price. And Clark, unfortunately, I think that aspect is gone from today's right. game. Yeah, because they've outlawed it. You can't do it. It's outlawed it. I don't know how you play defensive back right now, Clark. I just don't know how you do it. Do you recognize that, Ira? It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Or as we call it, the good, the bad, and the New York Jets. So, Ira, I'm going to ask you for your good. I'll give you one good. You ask me for the bad, I'll give you one. And then we'll just do the ugly. So, anyway, let's go. What's your good of the week? The week, the the, the, the year, whatever. My good's on the year. And it's, it's something I brought up to uh, Coach Dungy, uh, which is um, the influx of good young quarterbacks that are going to keep making this league interesting because Clark I hate to break the news to you Brady and Breeze they can't go on forever not forever <laughs> Clark we have uh, Brady wants to play till he's 48 Clark 48 uh-huh. um, you know you've seen the better side of 48 for a few years so I'm going with the good young uh, guns on the NFL that that's something that uh, this league can really cash in on yeah, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm on the old guns because apparently you have been looking at my driver's license. You saw the date of birth. Anyway, Brady's 43, and he just comes off of, what, five touchdown game to five different receivers with five touchdowns for only the seventh time in his career. I love that. Old guy rule, all right. Old guy nice. Rule. Nice. Okay, how about the bat? All right, I'm taking a pot shot at Anthony Lynn right now, Clark. The Chargers are playing hard for this guy. And they deserve a little bit better from the coach's seat. Fourth and one against the Chiefs in overtime. He punts from midfield when Mahomes needed a field goal, not a touchdown. And they got what they deserve. 58-yard field goal, game over. Clark, at the end of the first half, they're up 24-7 at Ray J. Bucks have one timeout, 45 seconds left. They're at their own 10-yard line, Clark. Sit on the football. Yeah. He hands it off, and he coughs it up, and the Bucks get a cheap touchdown that turned that whole game around. Come on, Lynn. You're well, better than that. The bad, I forgot one thing about the good here. I, I love that music. Was Clint Eastwood in the, the booth here? What is going on here? I love this. <laughs> that was a great movie. Good, bad, and the ugly. Anyway, bad. Coaches. Okay? Oh, no. Not coaches. John Gruden. They're still defying the league mandate on mass. What's wrong with these guys? Of the league threatens penalties, but you saw Gruden the other day. You're supposed to wear one? Yeah, he wore one, then he pulled it down. So he keeps the mask down. I say, you threaten penalties? Penalize him. All right, what about the ugly? My Ooh. ugly is, is uh, in Jerry's world. Right in, right in the middle of Jerry's world, Clark. They're scoring all kinds of points. Prescott <laughs> might throw for 6,000 yards, and it all add up to 6 and 10. because they can't stop anybody. That's ugly right. defense, Clark. Now, we knew that Rod Marinelli was, you know, an excellent uh, assistant coach. Of course, he went 0-16 as a head coach, so he won't get another job. But did he mean that much in Dallas that it's all falling apart, Clark? they This is some of the worst defense we've seen in a long time. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, I, since you mentioned Rod Marinelli, the Detroit Lions, I go the ugly to what Matt Patricia said after the uh, game last week, which is, um, you know, what we're doing here. Yeah, it's tough, but there was a lot of work to do when we got there. No, there wasn't. Jim Caldwell <laughs> was nine and seven the year before. Uh, and Jim Caldwell was 36 and 28 there. There wasn't a lot of work to do when he got there. Patricia's 10, 25, and one. And he's sinking fast, Ira. And I think uh, the other thing, <laughs> the guy, is, he's demonstrated, and maybe should have brought Tom Brady with him, but now he's making history there. He's, he's think he's the first coach in NFL history to lose six straight games with leads of 10 points or more. Wow. Hey, yeah, that's not what you want to get known for. Hey, Ira, any final thoughts on anything? Any final thoughts? Well, just the last thing on, on, on the Patricia thing. Clark, once again, I, I think we can agree there's going to be five, six, seven head coaching changes. We've already had one. Dan Quinn hanging by a thread. He's not going to make it to 2021. Uh, you mentioned Patricia. And there's going to be others along the way. Clark, the coaching churn is in full throttle. Yeah, I just hope we make it to 2021, Ira. <laughs> hey, if you want to find Ira, by the way, he's on Twitter at I Kaufman 76. That's I. That's why we call it the I test because it's actually Irish show. I Kaufman 76. And I'm there at Clark at Clark Judge TOF. So we want to thank Tony Dungy for joining us and you for listening to us. This was a lot of fun. I hope we can do it again. Hey, wait a minute. Next week, maybe. What do you say? Absolutely. As the world turns, my friend. That's good. Anyway, that's a deal. We'll be there. We'll be here. We hope you will be too. And this is the I test on fullpressradio.com. Thanks for listening.